But if you believe in what you're capable of, well, that's really, really important. So it's either believe, again, like sort of the two, the two parts, it's either believe or don't believe, right? And don't believe is sort of self-doubt. That self-doubt will creep into all of our minds all the time. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. With thanks to our partner Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking and strategies to elevate your results. To get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Hey, hey everyone, it's Sam here. Today's guest on the Elevate podcast almost needs no introduction. He's been in the industry for almost 20 years and worked his way up from rookie status to high-performing agent running his own agency. He then started Urban X more than a decade ago and obviously is no stranger to elite agents. So Dan, welcome back to Elevate. Thank you so much, Sam. Great to see you again. Well, it's been about a minute since we caught up and talked about setting good A minute too long, Sam. It's been about a minute, yep. And we talked about setting good financial habits, which was fun. What's been happening in your world since then? You know, I hope your listeners found that valuable, Sam. I've had numerous people send me DMs. I should forward some to you, you know, and I think it opened some people's eyes to what's possible quite easily. And that was really cool. And so if people got some value from that, then yeah, I'm really stoked. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that no one really likes to talk about money, but you kind of got to, don't you? Especially in times like this. Well, that's exactly right. And I think it is when times are a little bit tougher that these things start to matter, right? Like when the market's running really hot and you're making a fortune. One, you're probably flush with cash, but two, you're too busy to sort of think about it. And then as time starts to get tighter, you think with the money. (laughs) And certainly like for me, that's when it became important. It wasn't until the GFC and I'd been in real estate by that point for seven years. And I like literally came within a month of running out of money. And I was like, How's this happened after so many years of hard work and just realized I hadn't been making smart financial decisions? So a lot of the learnings that you and I spoke about last time, that's sort of where they came from. I vowed Sam to never end up in that situation again, hence the learnings. Yeah, well, today's topic is about facing fears. And I actually got ChatGPT to give me a list of real estate agents' greatest fears. Okay. And (laughs) running out of money is actually one of the top ones. So we'll get to that in a moment. But today the topic is overcoming fear, like we all have fear. And I wanted to sort of talk to you about, you know, some fears that you've faced and how you've overcome them. So first of all, define what fear means to you. That's a great question. Can I ask ChatGPT? Maybe (laughs) ChatGPT can do the questions and the answers today. How about that? No, I think fear is just a really normal part of life, right? It's like this inbuilt safety emotion that alerts us to danger or potential danger. And you know why I was excited to chat with you about this today is because I think that we all face fear every day or at least every week. And it has the power to either stop you or propel you forward. They're really, I think, the two options that it's going to, pathways it's going to present, right? So all too often, that old elephant brain that we've got, if you've 
done any study about the elephant brain and the monkey brain, this old elephant brain that just wants safety sort of goes, oh, let's go the safe path. You know, that looks scary. Let's not go down that path. And the monkey just wants to sort of go running down there. And those two are always fighting with each other. And I think it's like really important to be able to maybe reframe fear as, okay, that is scary, but what's on the other side of that? Rather than letting that be like this massive big brick wall that can't go past, I can't go through, I can't go around. Like for most people, actually the most exciting elements of their life is just on the other side of that. But I think as humans, we can sort of see it and just run the other way. Yeah, I know you're talking about with the elephant brain. I like to call it a lizard brain, actually, because, you know, lizards are prehistoric. Yes. And there's a difference between the part of your lizard brain that wants to stop you from running into oncoming traffic because it's not safe and a difference between that lizard brain that sort of stops you from taking opportunities. You know, obviously, no one wants to run into an oncoming six lanes of freeway or anything like that. Are there any good ways of telling whether it's an opportunity or whether it really is something to worry about? You know, you make a fantastic point and I hope no one runs into oncoming traffic after listening to this. Yeah, well, that's scary, but let's do it anyway, Dan said. No, but actually, Sam, you raise a really good point because what is dangerous often isn't scary. What's scary often isn't dangerous. That's quite interesting. And I want to just delve into that for a second. And let's use flying as an example, because I know that comes up a bit with me because I fly planes. A lot of people are scared of flying, but flying statistically and mathematically is proven to actually be very safe. Like we were somewhere on the weekend, I needed to stay. So she flew back with Virgin and I didn't come on that flight. And I didn't farewell her and, oh gosh, I hope I see you again. You know what I mean? Like it's safe, right? But a lot of people are scared of it. But actually, again, statistically, driving to the airport's far more dangerous. But is anyone scared of that? Like, does anyone like freak out about driving to the airport? Probably not. But people do get scared about flying on the plane. Why? There's a great example of something that's dangerous. Driving to the airport is actually statistically pretty dangerous. It's not scary. But flying on the plane is scary, but actually, in reality, it's not dangerous. So, you know, there'll be things like, yes, running out onto the road, that actually is probably both scary and dangerous, but there's other things that aren't. And so you asked me before about some of those fears, and they're there all the time, right? I think anyone that says that they don't feel fear is either mad or lying. And there's this really fantastic book called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And just the title of that book is everything. Feel the fear it's an emotion, you will feel it, everyone does, but do it anyway. And there's another amazing speaker, I think she's a kickboxer or cage fighter or something, you know, full on. And she talks about 10 seconds of courage. She has a TED talk called 10 seconds of courage. And she said that every time she stepped into the ring, she would be absolutely riddled with fear. But she had 10 seconds, that was her rule, she had 10 seconds to push that out. Because if she carried that fear into the fight, she'd get KO'd probably straight away. So I just want to say that everyone feels that. I feel it probably every day, but you just can't dwell in it. You've sort of got to assess it. And so you asked before about some fears. And there's been, you know, throughout my career, there's been many. Like I got into real estate, I was doing a law degree. And, you know, I just actually quite enjoying that. I just simply didn't want to sort of have an office job all day every day. And so I thought, oh, I'll try real estate. But you know, that was pretty scary because I had to kind of like stop everything I've been working for up until that point and go, oh, I'm going to try this. And then that went okay. And I was an associate and then I became 
a debit credit agent. And then I remember the moment that arrived where it was time to get off debit credit and go on to commission only. I mean, that was so scary because this like safety net was just going to go. But you had to assess that and go, well, what are the benefits? Like, yeah, the benefit of staying on it is well, I get this like income every month. But normally, if you're on debit credit, the commission rate's lower. So, all right, well, if I think I can back myself, then the reward is there on the other side. And so you've sort of got to push through that and go on to commission only. And then, you know, I stayed on commission only for six years or something like that. And then I remember, you know, it got to the point where I sort of built up the experience and felt like I could run my own business. There were numerous reasons why I wanted to do that. But that was also scary, Sam, because I'd only ever worked at one agency. I hadn't moved around. And so, you know, this little part of me, the lizard, was like, well, Dan, maybe you're only successful because of this agency. You've never worked anywhere else in real estate. So how would you really know? How would you really know whether or not everyone's listing with this agency and just kind of you because you're there or whether it's you? And then again, you got to go, no, I'm going to look at this logically. Maybe that's the answer, Sam. You asked me before, how do you get through it? I think it's about looking at it with a bit of logic, right? You look at that logically and you're like, well, well, the agency I work at hasn't given me any listings for like years. Like I kind of list them myself and then I sell them myself and got all these like past clients that give me referrals now. Like, surely some of them will still give me business if I leave and go out on my own, right? And the rewards are there. So I was like, well, you know, I'm sort of giving away all this calm and I'm going to get all of that and I'm limited with how much I can market myself. And maybe if I go out on my own, then I sort of have more choice. No, it's worth pushing through that. And then that was it. You know, you go ahead on your own and that's fine. And then that keeps happening. Like, you know, I remember when I opened my first office, I'd sort of went from no expenses to all of these expenses. Oh gosh, how am I going to afford that? Like it just all keeps happening. I guess fast forward to today, you know, when I decided to get out of actively listing and selling in real estate, I was doing really well at the time and sold the business, gave my database to my old associate and just walked away completely. Just to let your listeners in, I just over a million dollars cash into an account you know, what comes first, the clients or the team? Well, clearly, if we get clients before we've got a team to look after them, like that's not going to go well. So we we worked out we needed the team first. We had wages pouring out with no income coming in, like on day one, I was losing $5,000 a day, Sam, $5,000 a day, 25 grand a week was my burn rate when we first started UrbanX with zero income, you know, and I'm just watching this balance, bearing in mind, I'm not earning anything anymore. And then I'm watching this balance just drop and drop and drop and drop every single week. It was so scary, petrifying, actually. But again, get out of the emotion, come back to the logic, because this works for these reasons. Focus on the things that you can control, none of the things that you can't control, and just keeps working out. And so, yeah, Sam, the point is, fears, no one's immune to it. I think we all feel it every day. But I just come back to that thing we said at the start, does the lizard win? Well, does the monkey win? Is it the old protectionist part of your brain or is it the forward moving part of your brain that like wants to achieve more things? And I think that's the choice that we all have every day. Like you said, there are different sorts of fears. And I guess what you're saying is, I don't know, is it fair to say that you're a fan of the quote, leap in the net will appear? You know, someone literally just sent that to me yesterday. And it's one of our clients in Melbourne. He was with a big group and he left and he went out on his own. And that was like the first fear that he overcame. And then, you know, he sort of just, run his business from home initially and, and actually done like incredibly well. And then, he, you know, he's just at the point now where he's built a team and now he's gone and gotten an office and his expenses have just gone up a fair bit. 
And I said something along those lines to him just recently. I'm like, mate, you just got to go. Yeah, I know you'll feel some anxiety, but you sort of just got to push through that because like, look how well you're going. And yeah, so that's who just sent that to me. I love that quote. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have a framework for working through, like we've just recently done a round of Transform and Bo Miller, who's an agent here in Queensland. I don't know if you know her or not, but she does things like you. I mean, not she doesn't fly planes, but she does race motorbikes really fast. She's done that scary bungee jump, you know, things that I would probably wouldn't do. But she has this framework of false evidence appearing real, like fear is an acronym for false evidence appearing real. Do you have a way that you can actually sort of sit down and work through people's fears with them to come to a conclusion where I guess it's progress, really? Like people just need to move. It doesn't need to be a big step, but making progress. What are some of the strategies that you use to do that? I've got two, Sam, and I'll share them both with you. I do like the acronym FEAR equals false evidence appearing real because just on that false evidence, these are the stories that we tell ourselves, right? We tell ourselves all the worst things that could happen. And they're just stories that we tell ourselves. And it's about replacing that story with, yeah, but what's the best that can happen? Like it's fine to say, well, these are all the worst things that can happen. But what are all the best things that can happen as well? And so that's my first strategy, which is just to do like a T-chart. And on one side of the ledger, put all the reasons why you shouldn't do it. And on the other side, you need to stop and put all the things that could happen. Like what's all the amazing things that could happen? So if I use the example of leaving the agency that I worked at, as I said, like I was absolutely scared. I'd never worked anywhere else. I didn't know whether or not it was a large part of my success. I think as agents, we generally think, gosh, this agency that I work at is a large part of my success. And so I had to put that down. I'm like, well, these are all the reasons why I should stay, but these are all the reasons why I should go. And as I went through that, there were more reasons or certainly the reasons on that side of the ledger excited me far more. So the first one is the T-chart, right? Don't just focus on all the worst things that could happen. Also give some weighting to what are the best things that can happen. And the second one is that a lot of what will hold us back is self-doubt or a lack of self-belief. Belief actually is everything. So I mentioned, I don't know what the camera's like here, but that says believe. And I tattooed that. I mean, I didn't do it like I had someone do it, but I tattooed believe on my arm in that moment when I first started Urban X, when we were losing $25,000 a week and earning nothing. And I walked away from, at that point, 14 years selling real estate. So in one area, like I gave up a lot. But if you believe in what you're capable of, well, that's really, really important. So it's either believe, again, like sort of the two two parts, it's either believe or don't believe, right? And don't believe is sort of self-doubt. That self-doubt will creep into all of our minds all the time. And I just think you've got to arrest that really quickly. I think it's Tony Robbins who says, when's the best time to kill a monster? When they're a baby or when they're fully grown? (laughs) like a little monster or a massive Godzilla? When's the best time to kill it? Obviously, when it's really little, right? Crush the egg. I'm not advocating for animal violence. So that's the same with our thoughts. I think the more we let that stuff get away from us, the bigger that monster grows, that self-doubt monster, the less likely we ever are to be able to overcome those things. And I suppose, Sam, the final point I'll just make on that is that for me personally, what I'm scared of, and I'm still scared of it, is regret. I don't want to get five, 10 years down the track, which you know, you and I spoke just before we started today on, gosh, the weeks are going by fast. They're going by so fast, right? 
you know, I turned 40 in eight weeks and I'm like, oh gosh. And actually I just went to a friend's 40th on the weekend. That's where I was. And weird story, but that 40th was in the same room of the same venue where I had my 21st. And I was there and I was like, where'd the last 19 years go? Like I remember being in this room and that was my 21st and like literally 19 years have passed since then. It flies by, you know, and regret that scares me more. Like that sits on that other side of the ledger. There's things I want to do. I don't want to get 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the track and go, gosh, I wish I took that opportunity when I had it. That scares the hell out of me because you can't do anything about it then. And in what we do now, I speak to a lot of agents that say, oh, Dan, if it was 10 years ago, we'd love to work with you guys and start a business, but I don't want to do it now. They might have had a choice 10 years ago. I don't know. Maybe they thought about it 10 years ago. Some of them tell me that they did. So anyway, Sam, yeah, that's my framework. I do like the belief thing. That sounds very Ted Lasso of you. Yeah, let's get matching tattoos, Sam. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, with the last few minutes, I know that you know you're probably not prepared for this, but I did ask ChatGPT for a list of a real estate agent's top fears. So I'm going to read them out to you and I'm going to ask you rapid fire to try and solve them. So are you ready? Let's go. And you can also say whether you think ChatGPT is full of it or not. So here we go. Number one fear. I don't know if I want to get AI offside with what Elon Musk and others are saying about how dangerous it could become. I think I'll just agree with everything AI says. Yeah. Always say please and thank you to the robot. Okay. So the first one, number one fear, market volatility. So the fear of market downturns or economic recessions, which can greatly affect business. Do you agree or disagree? Agree. And how would you overcome that one as an agent? You just acknowledge that we are in a really lumpy business, right? Like you might work in a market where your average commission is $25,000 per sale. You might only sell, I don't know, 30 houses a year. I mean, 30 houses at 25 grand a time, that's real lumpy. And I remember the GFC and I'd been having this great run until then for seven years, which every year just better and better and better. And I was averaging four sales a month going into the GFC. And Sam, I remember the weekend. I remember the Saturday. I remember the house. I remember the address. I can tell you everything about it. That's how it's burnt into my brain. The open house I was at where no one came. And I thought, ah, bugger, the times mustn't be on the internet. And I was there at the open house and I pulled up my phone and I looked online and no, sure enough, the times were there. Just no one came. And that was like the start of a year and a half of not fun at all. And so I sort of went from selling four houses a week to like two every six weeks. Like it was just drastically different, right? And you can't do anything about that. I think that's why it's scary, right? If no one's buying, you can do all the marketing in the world and you can do your best, but ultimately it's probably going to be dictated by price. And you know, if the vendor wants a certain price and the market's not prepared to pay it, like there's not a great deal that you can do within reason. And so that is scary. The answer to your question is, well, what can you do? You can be prepared for that. You can know that that's going to come. It doesn't matter whether you're in stock market or business or real estate or anything, every economic market is lumpy, right? And you know, if you're in retail, like you've got these boom times like Christmas and a few other times. If you're in like, you know, holiday tourism, you know, you've probably got real lumpy periods like school holidays and special events. And then outside of that's pretty quiet. Noose is a great example. On the weekend it's pumping and during the week it's pretty quiet. You just need to be prepared for it. And this comes back to that financial planning that we spoke about last time living well, well within your means, investing 40% of what you make. If you're making 200 grand a year, live within your means after investing 40% of that. If you're making a million dollars a year, 
then invest 40% or more if you can, right? But the more you put away into growth assets, the better off you'll be when you do go through periods of market downturns, which are sort of outside of your control. And Warren Buffett talks about the power of compounding interest. And I know we spoke about that last time, so I won't sort of recap it too much. But if you're putting away, let's just go easy maths here, Sam, a hundred grand a year at say a 10% return, year one, that's a hundred. By year two, it's now 110, right? So it's 110 going up by 10%, not a hundred going up by 10%. You add another hundred, now you've got 210. That 210 is going up by 21%. That's an additional 21,000. Right now, you've got 230 by the following year. That compounding over a period of five, 10 years is exponential. I think that, Sam, I think paying off your house, any debt that you have that's not investment debt and your house is not an investment, you've got to get rid of that. Your home mortgage is non-claimable debt that you have to pay for with after-tax dollars. That is ridiculous. So, you know, just getting prepared, Sam, if you own your home and you own it outright, if you have investments, if you're really smart with your money during the great times, you know, yeah, I mean, the slower times aren't wonderful, but you're not stressed, you're not scared about it, and you just understand that that's what you've been preparing for. So, I think you've answered number two, which is inconsistent income. So, we might move to number three on my fear list, which is making mistakes. So Asians might fear making errors in contracts or during transactions, which could have serious legal and financial implications. What do you think about that one? And how do we get past it? Yeah, well, I think there's two areas of mistakes, Sam. I think, you know, we all make mistakes every day, right? And you can't be afraid of that. Like, you know, I was just on the phone with one of our clients last night and he's going through some things. And I said to him, mate, this is an enormous pivot moment for you. This is a huge pivot moment because it's a huge learning opportunity. And we never have a better learning opportunity than when we make mistakes, ever. When everything's going well, you might be learning a bit, but not much. You learn the most when mistakes happen. So I think don't be afraid of mistakes. I think it's just about reframing that it's really, really about using that as a pivot or an accelerator moment. How can I do this better? In terms of like fear around contracts, I mean, that's a great point. And I just think that as agents, we need to know the paperwork inside out and back to front. You know, the boss that I had, One of the things that he taught me was an incredible discipline around the paperwork. I mean, he was ex-SAS, right? So he was pretty full-on soldier turned real estate agent, and he brought that military precision to the business. I had to read every single clause in the contract terms and in the listing agreement, and he'd quiz me. He'd say, all right, Dan, explain to me clause 7.3B. And I had to know this stuff. And I'm so grateful for it because it gave me a level of discipline. And during my 14 years selling real estate, I had three legal issues, all to do with properties. You know, one, there was a property with an air conditioner on the wall, but the air conditioner actually had no compressor outside. I mean, how would one know that, right? Another one had a spa bath, but there was actually like no pump inside the bath. It was actually just a bath with holes in it. And another one, the owner of the house backed onto a park and he'd moved his fence line back 200 well, not 200 meters, but it made 200 square meters more. And it was just park land, not his land, right? But I mean, how would I know? It was fully fenced. But every single time, the paperwork was correct. That property had the correct land size on it. We marketed with the correct land size. We sold it with the correct land size. The one with the air conditioner, like the owner had disclosed that there was air conditioning. Every single time, Sam, the paperwork was what saved us because it would have been us that got done for misrep or you know, something. 
but it was always the paperwork. And so I'm so grateful for that. I just say the answer to your question is one, don't feel mistakes, but, but around your paperwork, around the way we present properties, the way we market them, like the descriptions, you've got to take that seriously. Really important. Yeah. So you're saying do the work. Yeah. Do the work, study the paperwork, read it. If there's clauses you don't understand, ask your principal. If they don't know, find a conveyancer. Like in real estate, we've only got two forms, don't we? We've got a listing agreement and we've got a contract of sale. And that's it. They're the only two things we really need to know. So I just want to know everything about those two forms inside out, back to front. So one, if a buyer or a seller asks me a question, I can answer it. Or two, I'm going to protect myself from getting into trouble by not having that complete. Incorrect paperwork would be the biggest mistake that is common in the industry. Oh, I don't worry about filling in that. Don't worry about filling in that. But actually, no, that actually does matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, number four is networking. The fear of having to consistently meet and engage with new people can be overwhelming for some people. What do you think of that one? Kill the monster early, Sam. If you walk into a networking event and you think, oh, who am I? I'm not good enough. Why would anyone want to talk to me? What value have I got to add? I mean, these are the thoughts, right? These are the thoughts, if we're going to be real, that go through people's heads, mine included. Like you've got to kill that monster really quick. You know, if, if people take nothing else from today, it's kill the baby monsters right? When they're little, when you walk into the room and you think, oh God, what have I got to talk to anyone about? Kill that. That has got to go because that's not helping you. And maybe acknowledging that will be quite helpful. Like that's not helping you. If you go into the networking event to sit in the corner, then yes, it is helping you. But you probably haven't gone to the networking event for that reason, unless you love sitting in the corner, do that at home. But if you've gone there to network and then you walk in and that self-doubt hits you, you've got to kill it and you've got 10 seconds. And if you don't, kill it within 10 seconds and replace it with a better thought, which is, I'm just going to give this a go. I'm interesting. I don't know. Think of something about yourself that's interesting and make that like a talking point, right? Yeah. You've got 10 seconds. That's the key. Yeah. I reckon you've got to go for the low-hanging fruit, I think, at networking events because I'm naturally, believe it or not, a shy person. And I think you've got to go for the quick win. I heard Mark Kentwell say last week that it's like playing pool, you know, don't go for the difficult shot, go for the easy shot because you never know where the white ball might end up. And I think if you go for something easy, then it'll give you the confidence to go for something a bit more difficult. You know, Sam, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. And I think that's something that it's just whatever you or anyone listening is comfortable with. I personally, and I don't know, I'm just a weirdo, I would go for the hardest shot. A very good friend of mine now and a mentor and actually the chairman of Urban X is Archie Douglas. Now, Archie Douglas, some of your listeners will know he's the guy who started PRD in Australia and started to build it from one office on the Gold Coast where you are. And I just was at a networking event and I saw him and I just made a beeline for him and I just started talking to him and then we organized to catch up for lunch and that was like 10 years ago and he's 80 and one of my best friends and a mentor and an investor in UrbanX and the chairman of our... And you know, there's been numerous times, that was just an example, but I just think we're all people right? We're all just humans rattling around on this rock hurtling through the universe. I don't know, ChatGPT can tell us more information about the science. Maybe you can put that in the notes, Sam, about what the world is doing in space. But we are all just people. And actually, like he was the greatest person. And there's been numerous times that I've done that. I recently reached out to the CEO of a public listed company recently. So I really admired what his company's done. It started as this $10 million business in Sydney. Now it's you know, public listed worth half a billion dollars. And just reached out to him and we organized lunch and you know, he's just done Everest and he asked me for advice because I've done Everest. Like 
whether you go for the low hanging fruit or you go for the highest fruit, there's no right or wrong. It's whatever you're comfortable with. Just do something, you know, just don't let fear hold you back. And the greatest rewards are on the other side of fear. So the more you go over that, who knows? Who knows what opportunities are there? Yep, exactly. Well, we're up to number five of 10. So this one is very similar to the last one, which was fear of networking, but this is fear of rejection. So fear of rejection or failure, especially when starting out or trying to make a sale. How do we get past that one? That is key. And geez, chat GPT is pretty smart because that is key, right? And you'll never make it in real estate or business or many things whilst you're scared of rejection because rejection's a part of life. I have three ways to reframe that. Number one, they're not saying no to you. They're just saying no to what you're doing at that particular time, right? Would you like to sell your house? No. Maybe you'll want to in a year, you know? They're not rejecting you, you know? Do you want an appraisal? I don't know. Not really. I'm not doing anything for a long time. I don't want an appraisal. Okay. They're not saying no to you. So number one, they're not saying no to you. They're just saying no to what you're offering right now. Two is if someone says no, i.e., do want to sell and they meet you and but they list with someone else. So, you know, they are saying no to you effectively. I take that as not N-O, but K-N-O-W, right? They don't know K-N-O-W enough. And that puts it back on you. That's now your opportunity to level up. If you say to me, no, I think, okay, you don't know enough to be able to decide to go my way. You've gone a different way. That's on me. That's a self-improvement moment for me to ensure that the next person, K-N-O-W, knows enough so they don't say no, N-O, to me. And again, they're like your level up moments, right? If everyone says yes, then you get every single listing you go for, you're probably going to, that's great, but you're not really going to learn, right? And eventually you'll stop getting them. And three, some people see this as arrogant. It's not arrogant. It's self-protectionist, really. I felt sorry for people that said no to me. You can frame that however you like. But it just helped me deal with the rejection, right? If someone went with another agent, I just thought and felt in my heart that I was the best agent and I would work the hardest and I'd get the best results. And I thought, I feel sorry if you wouldn't say that. (laughs) Obviously, please don't say that to your clients or potential clients. But I did. I felt sorry for them. I thought, oh, you've gone with them. That sucks for you. You know, it just helped me get through it. It helped me take it less personally, but still go back and learn. use it to improve. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the hardest no. And I've heard lots of people also say when they get that, you know, like I'm going with another agent, that it's really easy to be hurt by that and just not go back to that person. But that's almost the time when you should overcome that fear and go back to them and say, I heard you've gone with X. They're a really good agent, despite what you think. But if I can ever help you in the future, let me know. I'll add you to my newsletter or something like that. 100%. And also, don't be a victim. They are saying no to you in that moment. If you do go for a listing appointment and they say, are we going with someone else? They are saying no to you. Let's just be clear on that. And I hope, right? And so you can, in your mind, feel sorry for them, but say to them, oh, they're a great agent. I'm sure it'll go well. Can I do to my newsletter? But don't be a victim. They are saying no because they don't K-N-O-W enough about your value, which then puts it back onto you. And when it's back on you, there's something you can do about it. You can do about it is level up. Your listing appointment needs to become better. Your closing needs to become better. Your entire pitch might need to become better. Essentially, they don't K-N-O-W the value that you offer and they've seen that value with someone else. Or 
I think Michael Sheargold calls it the sea of sameness. And there's only one time, I think there's only one time in my life I've ever sold a property in an area that, you know, there was no connections and therefore it's just a totally random. And so we just went onto realestate.com and pulled up the top three agents, the one that had the banner, two others, and just called them in. It was like a normal vendor and called these three agents in and they all did their pitch. And seeing that sea of sameness concept that I think was coined by Michael Sheargold was just like, oh my gosh, they all said the same thing. They all said the same campaign. They all said the same marketing. Everything was the same. It was just down to the smallest things, you know, and we got it down to two. And then it was just like literally flip a coin because they were all the same. They both turned up one time. They looked good. They spoke well. It was all the same. And so it just was, I don't know, well, let's just pick one of them. And that sucks, right? I think you either want to lose in a fiery ball of loss or win resoundingly. But to just sit in that sea of sameness, you don't put yourself in the best possible chance to win. So don't be a victim. You haven't proven your value. Use it as a learning opportunity. And you want your next listing appointment to blow the vendor away. You need to make it easy for them to choose you. That's a really great piece of advice that Archie, my mentor, gave me. Make it easy for people to choose you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, number six, negative reputation. The fear of getting negative reviews and damaging their reputation in the industry. I think we can be quick for chat GPT. Just do the right thing. You know, treat everyone the way you'd like to be treated. You know, I know that's quite biblical. Treat everyone the way you'd like to be treated. It's simple as that. The greatest compliment anyone ever gave me when I was an agent was you made that so easy. You call your vendors enough hassling them, but so that they are never wondering what's going on. For me, that was Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'm going to call you every day. What am I going to tell you? You know, but Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you never wonder what's going on. When you've got an offer, call your buyers back after the open home. When you're negotiating a deal, like you do all the running around, don't play stupid games, just make it easy. Now with UrbanX, you know, the greatest compliment that people can give us is, oh, gosh, you made that, as in running a business, so easy, you know? When we set up someone's business for them, it takes us eight weeks. We do all of their branding. We set up all of their software. We set up all of their templates and forms and backend. And obviously, we run that on an ongoing basis. But, you know, they get to the end of eight weeks and, like, they've got an entire business, website, everything. And when they say, oh, you made that so easy, it's the same compliment that we used to get selling real estate. And I love it. So, you know, you want a good reputation, treat people the way you'd like to be treated, make things easy for people. Number seven is lack of knowledge. Actually, this sounds a bit like imposter syndrome to me, but you can tell me what you think. Fearing that they don't know enough about the industry, the market or legal processes. Oh, you just got to be obsessed with being the best. Just be obsessed with it. You know, live, breathe it, study your listing agreements, study the contract of sale. And you can have prompts. I mean, I used to, in the old days, have folders for every one of my listings, right? And so I'd go out, And on the inside cover of the folder, I know that's old school now to have a folder. It's on notes on your iPhone. How about that? You know, land size, this, rates, this, body corporate fees, this, everything, rent appraisal, this, anything anyone would ever want to know. There's only like five or 10 questions anyone would ever want to know. Just have it there. And then that way, well, you do know. If someone says, oh, I like this property, how much are the body corporate fees? Oh, they're 2,473 a quarter. Okay, great. So I just think it's, What's that saying? Pre-planned preparation prevents piss poor performance. <laughs> like, there's no point being scared of that one. That's just being prepared, whether that's forms, the industry, a property you're selling, prep. Okay. Number eight, competition. The real estate market is competitive. This sounds very robotic. 
and agents might fear not being able to stand out or succeed. I think we've kind of talked about that one, haven't we? Like not being able to stand out and save sameness and all that sort of thing. But it does take guts. Like it does take getting over fear to stand out. Like even Dr. Zeus said, why fit in when you were born to stand out? I mean, look, I made a comment on someone's post on LinkedIn a little while ago that was like, agents look the same, houses are looking the same, celebrities are looking the same, interiors are looking the same. Everything like in our society is starting to look a bit the same. So that's going to get harder, I think. I would just implore all of your listeners to read or listen to the audio book, which is available on Audible, Purple Cow by Seth Godin. And Seth spoke at Eric last year. And the notion of Purple Cow, it's pretty self-explanatory in the title, but if you see a field, you're on the Gold Coast, you've only got to drive 30 minutes inland and you're in the hinterland, right? It's a totally different world 30 minutes inland from where you live, same with where I live. And you start to see cows or whatever, horses, ostriches, I don't know, right? Okay, there you go. I'm in Broad Beach Waters and there's cows five minutes that way and beach five minutes that way. Okay. You know, when you first see the cows, you're like, oh, look, you know, honey, cows. And then after you drive past, you know, an hour of cows, you couldn't care less about the cows, right? But then if you saw one purple cow, like just one random bright purple cow, you'd be like, oh my God. And you'd pull over and there'd be people there and you'd all have like Instagram going and it would be massive, right? But why? Why is that so big? There's one, there's just one of them and all the rest are brown or white or whatever, but there's this one purple cow and it stands out. The reality is our eyes are drawn to the one that stands out. If you remember those old Where's Wally books, you know, you can always spot Wally. Why could you spot Wally? Because Wally was the only one that had a stripy red shirt on that stood out. I don't think anyone's going to doubt this concept. So Seth Godin talks about in his book, you need to be the one that stands out because he agrees with your point, Sam, which is that there's so much. There's so much advertising. There's so many shops. There's so many competitors. There's so many real estate agents and they all look the same. They dress the same. They talk the same. They have the same cars. They do the same campaign. But there's only so many things you can do, right? Mr. Vendor, Mr. and Mrs. Vendor, let's put a sign out the front. Let's get some nice brochures. Let's do a premier listing. Let's do a prestige listing. There's only so many things you can do, right, to market a property. And so inevitably, all the good agents say exactly the same thing. We started talking about fears today. Again, like I'm more scared of the regret of looking back at missed opportunities and thinking, geez, I wish I took that path when I had that opportunity. I wish I went hard with that when I could have. It's the same with I'd be more scared of not standing out. Is standing out scary? Yes, because if you stand out, people talk about you. If people are talking about you, they'll be criticizing you and praising, but you're just going to get both, right? And no one wants that. But it's more scary, I think, to be in the sea of sameness, for no one to know who you are, for no one to care. You're just oblivious, right? Because that's far more dangerous. So again, two pathways, which one's better? Pick the one that's right for you. You've got to stand out in business. You've got to stand out in this industry. Let's just zoom all the way down to like one area. Broad Beach Waters, did you say? Yep, Broad Beach Waters, yep. How many homes are in Broad Beach Waters? A lot. A lot. Let's say 4,000. I'm going to guess 4,000, but it's off the cuff. There were 4,000 homes in my area, which was Paddington. 
So those people that live in those homes, you need all of them. You know, this is a really simple awareness campaign. People need to know who you are and what you do. People know who you are and what you do. That's it. And so the goal of every real estate agent should be within their area, Broad Beach, Waters, Paddington, or anywhere else, should be that every single person in this area knows who I am and what I do. Because then they are armed with the information that when they want an appraisal, when they want to sell their house, then they're going to contact you because they know who you are. Yeah? And if you're on the Gold Coast and you want to go on a roller coaster, you think, oh, I should go to Dreamworld or Movie World. You're not wondering, oh, gosh, like, where do you even get on a roller coaster? I mean, you know, right? Because they market themselves and they stand out. So I think as an agent, if you just have that one goal, every single person in this area needs to know who I am and what I do, then they are armed with the information they need to be able to contact you when they're ready to sell. And the only way they're going to do that in this huge, noisy world of marketing and everything else is you've got to be the purple one. You know, if everyone else is doing DLs, I don't know, do like massive, do full letters. Or if everyone else is sticking things in people's letterboxes, stick it on their door. Like, you know, in a hotel, you put that thing over your room, do not disturb. They had things made like that. And so they'd go and put those on people's doors. Because if you're just in the letterbox, it's like, oh, here's another 80 things in the bin. But there's this thing hanging on my doorknob. Like, they're just a couple of examples, right? If no one in your area does video, then do videos. If everyone in your area does videos, then probably don't do videos just because that's different. You just assess what everyone's doing and just do the total opposite of it. And just by doing that, you're the one purple one, right? And if you do that enough times with enough things, you'll stand out. Okay, we're down to our last two. Number nine is technological change. So the fear of not being able to keep up with the latest technology or marketing trends. And I reckon that there's probably a lot of agents out there who are pretty fearful of that right now. I just told you I had folders. <laughs> you know, people are like folders. Why would you even take in a folder? And we had physical brochures. I mean, most people now just use digital brochures. It's a far more efficient way to operate. You know, when I was selling, DocuSign wasn't a legal way of selling. We had to, we sold to fax. We had to put these silly clauses in that said, the buyer and seller agree to be bound by an email copy of the contract if we just emailed it, right? But now, you know, then the legislation came in that you can DocuSign and it all changed. You know, I don't think it's something to be scared of. I think it's just about learning. And I think it's just about understanding that it's going to continue to evolve and technology will continue to change all lives. I know you speak a lot about ChatGPT and I've been following along with interest because I think it will be life-changing. I think that humans have been doing a lot of menial tasks that technology can replace. And that doesn't mean that humans will get replaced. I just think it means that we have the opportunity to pivot and step up into doing work that computers can't do. And computers can't do the relationship work and they can't do the feeling stuff. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to come out to my house and you're going to give me advice and you're going to walk around and say, I think you should rearrange that. I think you should move that. I think we should bring in some beautiful artwork. Chat GPT is never going to do that. No tech will ever do that. That advice piece, all of that, that's the space that we really want to own. Writing a description, things like that, that'll all be gone soon, as you well know. Yeah, save yourself some time and build the relationship instead. That's what I think. Relationships, yeah. Yeah. Okay, final one, it's safety. So agents often meet with strangers in empty properties raising concerns about personal safety. Any tips on keeping everyone safe? Because in America, some bad stuff has happened. And in Australia, we don't have as many of those types of stories. But I know that definitely it's hard for some people. I was always aware of this, Sam, particularly with my property management business where we had 
a team of girls looking after the properties, going and doing all sorts of rental inspections and routine. And I was always aware of it. We had two things. One, we had Find My Phone or Find My Friend or whatever it's called on their work iPhones, not their personal iPhones. So we had that on. It wasn't to track them. It was purely for safety. And I didn't even have access to it. Their team leader had access to it, right? So that was one thing. We always wanted to be able to monitor that. Two, we had a code and the code was happy birthday. And if they ever were out on the road and they sent a text that said happy birthday, that was the code that something was wrong. And and obviously then we had access to find my friend or whatever. And so we could sort of action that. And thirdly, we had a police officer come in and do training with our team. We took this really seriously. And I'd forgotten about that until you just asked me this question. But that was something that we were profoundly aware of the danger of. And I think it was the situation that happened in the US that made us hyper aware of it. And so we had a police officer come in on his day off and do training with us. And I don't remember all of his advice, but I'll tell you two of the things that I do remember that he said. Number one was never walk into a property first, always let the other people walk in first. So if you're showing someone, just let them go in. You know, you don't want them right behind you. So don't walk in and then have them follow you in. It's the first thing that he said. And the second thing that he said was always trust your spidey senses. Yeah, if you get the heebie-jeebies, trust it and get the hell out of there send happy birthday like whatever you need to do but he said just trust that he said that's a big thing in the police force if they get the heebie-jeebies with someone they'll just trust that and get the hell out of there so what else can you do there's three tips they're three practical tips any principals or business owners need to be hyper aware of this and have a plan in place where you know obviously we took that really seriously which is that structure i've just given you i think if you're in the industry you know you certainly want to take your personal safety very seriously and whatever measures there are around that, whether that's a self-defense course, I just want to be as prepared as I can in case anything ever happens. Yeah, absolutely. That has been a massive effort from you, Dan, to sort of go through that big list. So thank you for doing that. And thanks for, again, sharing some of your wisdom with us today. If there was one thing or one tip about facing your fears that you'd like to leave people with, what would it be? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. And if we can finish on this one point, the greatest opportunities live on the other side of your greatest fears. I never would have moved into sales, com only, if I didn't get through that fear of coming off debit credit. I never would have started my own business, which has been one of the greatest things I've ever done if I didn't get over that fear of leaving the safety or comfort zone of where I was to go out on my own. I had a very successful seven years in that. I decided to make this enormous leap, even bigger leap into Urban X. And now, you know, as you mentioned last time, it was the 24th fastest growing company in Australia, according to the Australian Financial Review last year. It's like lily pads, right? You're never going to get to the next one without the fear of letting go of the one that you're on now. But I can just tell you that every single one of those jumps is scary, but every single one of those jumps is worth it. You either jump or you just stay where you are and then sort of, you know, 19 years passes, like the example we gave at the start, and you think, God, I wish I took that opportunity, whatever that opportunity is, you know, back when I had the chance. So your greatest opportunities exist on the other side of your greatest fears. Amazing advice. Dan Argent, thank you so much. Thanks, Sam. And thanks for everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate podcast. With thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joinelitagent.com.